0: Well, welcome to part one of this new series called All the Feels, and uh, this is a series that's going to take us up until Easter. Now, some of you—I just want to kind of explain the name of the series real quick. If you don't know what All the Feels means, that means you're old. And also, this is kind of a new thing that's just sort of out there, so I just want to quickly explain what it means when we, when we say all the feels. If, if something has all the feels, and this is often referring to like a book or a movie or something, if a movie has all the feels, that means it evokes a lot of emotion. It pulls out a lot of your emotions. I'll just give you a few examples here. If you watched Titanic back in 1998, and you watched as the old version of Rose took her necklace and dropped it into the sea over the wreckage of the Titanic. You had all the feels. Another example, if you watch uh, the show This Is Us, any, any fans of This Is Us here? So if, if you've gotten into that, you know every episode. Every episode. It's like there's all the feels. There's so many emotion that that, that show can bring out. Now I've heard The Notebook. Never actually seen it, but I've heard if you do watch that movie, it has all the feels. Now, one last one. Something I relate more to is this one. (laughs) You laugh because you haven't seen it, you're clapping because you have. There's this part in the end where boy and his machine, the machine has to lower himself down into the molten metal, sacrificing himself. And if you watch that, oh, (laughs) all the feels. All the feels right there in that one moment. Now this is a time of year when que- Christians really start to get all the feels because now we're working into a season of the year that we call Lent. And this is the, the weeks leading up to Good Friday and then finally Easter Sunday. And if you're a Christian and if, and if you like all the feels, this time of the year is for you. It's during this time of the year that we focus pr- primarily on the message that Jesus Christ knew what was coming. And yet he pursued it anyway. Jesus Christ was guilty of no crime, neither before man nor before God himself. And yet he was punished as one who was guilty. He could have avoided it. He could have minimized it. He could have gone a different route entirely. He could have stopped it at any moment. And yet he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross. He laid down his life out of love for you. And and maybe as you think through this, you can think back to some Good Friday services where you're like, wow, I had all the feels, all the feels. And then as soon as we get immersed in all of this, it's quickly followed up with this Easter thing where three days later, now there's this victory that Jesus made a visit with death. But in the process of visiting death, he stole its power and defeated it. And then he appeared to his disciples and appeared to people, and he transformed their eternities and their lives. And in the wake of the resurrection, you just get all the feels. And this is a a time of year where we really just start to feel all the feels, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, the unfortunate side effect or the consequence of this is that when we approach this time of the year, we can kind of bring into this some expectations. Like, if you like the show This Is Us, and if there's a certain episode that just doesn't pull on your heart, you're like, well, that was a waste of time. And and as Christians, if, if we go to a service or if we, you know, do something over Lent and Easter and we don't feel something, well, what's the point? We start to gauge the value of our faith based on how we feel or don't feel. Now here's the thing. God created us to be emotional beings. It's part of us, and it's okay to have environments and have songs and music and messages that touch on those things. So I'm not saying that we should check our emotion at the door and make this a purely academic exercise, but what I am saying is this. Number one on your sheet. How you feel in response to Jesus' sacrifice is not an accurate way to measure his sacrifice. In fact, if measuring his sacrifice was based on how you feel as a result, you are not capable of generating or reflecting the feelings required. His sacrifice was too great for you to reflect through how you feel. So this Lent season, we, as a church, as we get ready for Good Friday and Easter and all the fields that go along with them, we want to take these Sundays leading up to it to not focus on our fields. What we're going to focus on is this that Jesus went through all the fields. This was true of his entire life, but especially as you look at the accounts of his final week, Jesus went through all the fields from love and compassion to betrayal and mistrust, to, to being alone, to suffering. All these things were just packed into one week of his life. And as we follow his journey through these events, it will give you a renewed appreciation, not based on how you feel, but because how, of how Jesus went through all the fields. What we're going to talk about today really sets the table for all these other things we're going to bring up. There are, there, there's so much stuff in this final week. We don't have time to cover all of it in the five or six weeks of this series. But what we're going to see today really builds the foundation for understanding all of it. And what we impact today from Hebrews chapter 4 is going to show you why it was so important for Jesus to do this. Why he had to go through all the fields and not just, not just avoid them. So here's our roadmap for today. We're going to look at two quick sections here. One of them is Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm just thinking on, the, on my feet here. I don't know if I added the second one here, so I might have to use my Bible. Glad I left it there. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to look first. And this letter that was written in the first century really helped people understand why it is that Jesus had to be so similar to us. Before, before we get into it, before we see why Jesus had to go through all the fields, there's something about Hebrews chapter 4 that just doesn't jive with our language or how we talk today. And it all revolves around this idea of this high priest. And, and maybe just to set it up, I'll go ahead and put verse 14 up on the screen. But then we kind of have to acknowledge this, this role or this job of high priest is something that we don't have anymore today. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, Let us firmly hold to the faith we profess. Now this role of high priest, which we don't have anymore today, was in a nutshell one person, one man, who would serve as an intercessor between God and the people. This job made it abundantly clear that the holiness, the light of God, could not be in the presence of the darkness or the sin of mankind. And so this priest would symbolically intercede between God and the people and he himself would offer all the appropriate sacrifices and point them to one day this greater sacrifice in Jesus who would take away the sins of the world. Now this high priest, once a year, would, would enter the temple or the tabernacle, and there was this special room in the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies, where he could only enter once a year, and at that, only after he offered a very specific sacrifice. And I'm setting all of this up because so much of this is embedded into Hebrews chapter 4, and in fact, the entire book of Hebrews. Jesus is our high priest. We, we don't have a high priest anymore because Jesus is it. He is the one. He intercedes between God and people. And he himself was the sacrifice which atoned for the sins of mankind, therefore bringing us to God and into a right relationship with him. And Jesus didn't just go into the presence of the tabernacle once a year, but look at, look at this. He ascended into heaven. Literally, he passed through the heavens to be with God himself. We have a high priest who is before God himself. And, and, and the writer to the Hebrews is kind of building this, this up because this is important to understand. When it comes to your relationship with God, you only have that because of Jesus Christ. Which is why in in tradition, many Christians, you know, end their prayers in Jesus' name, or for Jesus' sake, or something like that. Those little words and phrases just cue our minds to remember. It's only through Jesus that we can actually have a right relationship with God. As you think of all this, you might be thinking, wow, like high priest. And by the way, if you've read through Leviticus and gone through the grind of reading through Leviticus, high priest is something that you're a little bit more familiar with. But when you picture a high priest, you're picturing someone who's decked out in this special clothing. You're, you're looking at someone who just stands apart from the normal person. And you might look at Jesus and say, well, he is nothing like us. I mean, he's the son of God. He's perfect in every way. How could our high priest possibly intercede before God, between God and man? In fact, here's where a very common temptation begins to be planted. God doesn't know what it's like to be you. Look back at the Garden of Eden. That was what the devil made Adam and Eve believe. God doesn't know what it's like to be you. He's holding something back that he has. And and so with that lie then in their hearts, they did the first sin. God doesn't know what it's like to be you. But as the writer goes on, he says, actually, that couldn't be further from the truth. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Who is not unable to empathize. And that's a long way of saying he empathizes with you. Now empathy and sympathy are kind of two different things. In fact, even as you look at the Greek word for empathy, it's it's very similar. That's where we get our word empathy from. The whole idea isn't just that you, you know what someone else feels, but empathy is this idea that you actually have been where they've been. And, and in fact, when it comes to, to a lot of counseling situations that people come to me for, most of the time I have to acknowledge, look, I can serve you with the gospel and, you know, point you to Jesus, but I've never been through what you've been through. I can— guess what you're feeling right now, but I don't really feel what you're feeling because I have never been there. Uh, number two on your sheet, empathy requires shared experiences. It's experiences where both of you have been through the same thing, and when they go through it, it's like it sparks this emotion even with you, within you. You feel what they're feeling because you have this shared experience. That's empathy. That's empathy. And the writer to the Hebrews goes so far as to say this. Wherever you're at, Jesus has been there. He doesn't just feel bad for you when things are wrong, but he empathizes with you. Whatever the feel might be that you're enduring, anger, betrayal, suffering, he empathizes. This is one of the main reasons why it's so important that Jesus went through all the fields because if he's going to be your high priest in heaven who intercedes between you and the Father, he has to know what you need and where you're at. And the good news is you have a high priest who knows. Throughout the series, we're going to see different ways where Jesus entered into these emotions or these, these reactions that he had to situations And in different ways, you're going to see examples of how he can empathize with you when you go through those same things. But this all gets back to the main thing. Like, we all keep thinking, God doesn't understand what it's like to be me. And and when we think that, God doesn't understand what it's like to be you. We need to pay attention to those moments. Because in essence, what we're saying is, God, this isn't fair. And if you knew what my life was like, you would have made things work out differently. But apparently you don't know what it's like to be me, so now my life is miserable thanks to you. And this is at the heart of so many different temptations. And as we're going to see, there's actually something bigger that causes thoughts like that, where if you can understand it, it will bring out the beauty even more of this high priest you have in heaven. Hebrews uh, 4 goes on, It says, We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He is just like us, tempted in every way. Well, what about, you know, he wasn't a parent, so how can he know what it's like to have your patience tested like that? Well, guess what? When it comes to the, the grown-up relationships, and yes, even the kids that would surround him, his patience was tested too. When you look at all the core emotions that we deal with and all the ways that we are tempted to divert from God's will, you can see examples throughout Scripture of how Jesus was tempted in every single way. He's just like us. But at the same time, he's nothing like us. Because when you read the, the last part of this verse, he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. So he was just like us, but at the same time, he was nothing like us. And here's where it boils down to. You see, when it comes to temptation that Jesus faced and that we face, so much of it happens because of what we feel. When feelings are evoked, the door can open to temptation. James put it this way. James, the brother of Jesus, in uh, chapter 1 of his letter, he says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Where does temptation begin? It begins with desire. And desire is an emotion. We don't know a lot of the—we know a lot of the negative emotions that can, you know— drag us into temptation. When you're angry, the door opens to hurtful behavior. When you're betrayed, the door opens to vengeance. When things aren't fair, the door opens to taking matters into your own hands. When you're wronged, the door opens to revenge. When you're wrongly accused, the door opens to returning false accusations. Whenever your emotions are pulled on, there is a door that opens to temptation. And it's even for positive emotions that we see this happening. When you are happy, the door opens to misplaced priorities. When you are honored, the door opens to pride. When things are going great, the door opens to forgetting about God. Whatever the desire is within you and whatever the emotion is that takes root in your heart, every single one is a doorway to temptation. Number three on your sheet, every temptation begins with some sort of an emotion, some sort of a desire. And here's the the interesting thing about Jesus. He had emotion. He felt things just like you and me because he is 100% human being. He is, yes, the intellectual side of a human being, but he's also the emotional side of a human being. Feeling everything that you do, and yet he refused to let temptation be a door away from his Father in heaven. Now you can start to see why it's so important that Jesus went through all the fields. You see, if he wanted to connect with you and to be your Savior, he had to be just like you. Um, quick question. How many of you have been coaches of any sort of team ever? Raise your hands high because it's light up. Okay, a lot of you have been coaches. And this is especially true if you've been a coach of a younger kid. And by the way, all of you have either been coaches or have been coached, even if it's not a sports thing. Like, anyway, that's how life works. Anyway, I was a coach for several years for a grade school soccer team. It's like fifth through eighth grade. And there was one drill we did every single stinking day. And the drill, I called it, and it has different names in different sports, but the drill that that we had was called the wall pass drill, the wall pass. For example, if you kick a ball at a wall, you can predict the ball is going to bounce off, you know, and go a certain direction. The idea is you pass it to your teammate, and they're just like a wall. They All they do is they bounce it back to you so that you can go get the ball. In some sports, it's called the give and go Um, I think that's all the terminology I know, but I know it's it's in hockey, it's in basketball. It's a really common thing. Every single practice, part of warm-ups, wall-pass drill, wall-pass drill, and we get to the games, you know what the kids did? Not the (laughs) wall-pass. They just kick it, they just try to dribble around, they did not ever once do the wall-pass. And if you're a coach, you get the frustration here. You've been teaching it, but they won't do it. You've been repeating it, but they won't copy it. There's this frustration. And more than anything, I can't tell you how many times I just wanted to run out onto that field and say, stop the game, here's how you do it. Or to run out on the field and just do it for them. But you know, as a coach, as a parent too, you can't do that. Have any of you tried that, by the way? Or you just, never mind. You want to run out on that field, you just want to do it. But you can't do that because you're not meeting the requirements here. You're, you're too old, you're, you're beyond that. You don't fit the requirements. And sometimes I think that's how we can view God. We, we look at God and we think, well, he's just the angry coach on the sideline who He keeps telling us what to do and what not to do and how to live our lives, and he makes it perfectly clear. But then we get out onto the field... And we don't do it. We do the opposite. And we, we picture God as this angry coach from the sideline just yelling at us and screaming at us. In fact, if you had a, maybe a church experience similar to what I did, you heard the pounding on the pulpit every single weekend about how you weren't living life right. And there's a place for that. There's a time for that. But God is not an angry coach on the sideline. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he took the field. He was just like you, a perfect substitute for you so that as he went through all the fields and as he was tempted just as you are, he was able to remain perfect through them so that he could give that victory to you. As you let this sink in how Jesus as he went through all these emotions he was actively obeying his father in heaven for you there's one really cool takeaway that we see from the book of or the letter of Hebrews in verse 16 we say this therefore or we see this let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive two things so that we may receive mercy And find grace. Receive mercy, find grace. Receive what we didn't deserve and find what God never should have given us. Where we receive forgiveness and we are given grace. We find grace to help us in our time of need so that when we're going through all the fields And we tend to mess them up so bad because we walk through those doorways of temptation. When we go through the fields, we know we have a high priest in heaven who is just like us in every way, yet he remained without sin. So I want to give you the last fill-in, but there's two ways to fill it out. Number four, Jesus went through all the fields for you. Every time you see mentioned in the scripture how he was filled with zeal, filled with betrayal over what happened to him, or filled with loneliness because he was suffering for the sins of the world, whenever you see that, just remember, he went through all the feels for you. And so one way to fill this out, I didn't do it on the screen, but one way to fill this out is to put you in all capital letters because that's where the emphasis is. He did all of this for you, for you, for you. But at the same time, you could... Make the word for all capitalized. He did all this for you. He went through all these emotions for you so that when you face them, number one, you know that you have a Savior who remained perfect through them and his record is given to you as a gift. But second of all, so that as you endure all these fields, you might receive the mercy and grace you need to honor God in that moment and to not let your life be overcome And mastered by sin. Jesus went through all the fields for you. And he went through all the fields for you. And as we get on into this series, we're going to see some awesome ways that Jesus didn't just go around them or bury these emotions or ignore them or self-medicate through them, but rather he endured them for you. Now, as we wrap things up today, there is— one specific section from Jesus' life that I want to read. And as we do this, we'll try something a little bit different. Um, one of the ancient customs of Christians, whenever they gather together, is that whenever the, the gospel or the, the account of Jesus' life is read, the custom would be to have everyone stand up in the assembly as, an, as a sign of respect, as a sign of um, reverence for what was being read. This is the life, and these are the words of Jesus himself. And so I know it might not end well on camera. Sorry, people watching online. But um, in just a minute, I want to have you guys stand up as we read something that happened in the final week of Jesus' life. What we're going to read is the section right after Jesus was sentenced to death. Just imagine all the feels you would have if you had just been sentenced to to death, And not just a quick execution, but a slow, ex- excruciating, painful death through the death that would happen on a cross. Imagine all the things that he was feeling in that moment as they had him carry his cross to the execution site and then eventually had to have someone else carry it because he had been beaten so badly imagine what was going through his mind, recognizing that his life would only last for a matter of hours. But what we see in this account, in Luke chapter 23, again, I wish I had put it on the screen, I kind of forgot. Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus exemplifying what it means that he is a high priest who has empathy for you. Luke chapter 23. Would you please stand as we read these words? As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Then he prophesied the destruction that was going to happen to Jerusalem. He said, For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green what will happen when it is dry. The word of the Lord. And one last quick thing. You cannot have empathy for what Jesus went through. By design, he experienced something that he made sure you would never have to experience. What he asked for in response is to consider what it means to live a life of repentance, acknowledging your sin to him, and finding free forgiveness at that cross. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, as, as we look at all the ways in life where we go through emotions, we so often get it wrong. Emotions and desires for us are, are so, there's so many doorways to temptation and a lot of times we walk through them in disobedience to you. Because of that, we should be separated from you. But because of your love, you made a way to bring us back. As we look at all these things that Jesus went through, I pray that while we might be tugged at with our emotions because of his selfless love, that more important than that is the fact that he went through all these feels, all these emotions for us and for us. And as we follow him these last few weeks to the cross, fill us with peace and joy and thankfulness for all that he went through on his way to the cross.